we're in an era of rapid change where resilience is vital. The Davout for Thought podcast dives into the most important topics in government and technology today. Our host, Davout Goats, sits down with his vast network of colleagues to dish on the tech challenges that affect us all. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Launch Consulting's Davout for Thought podcast. I'm Davout Oates, and I will be your host today. The way I stay up with the pressing topics of tech and government of today is to tap into the panel of experts I've had the honor of connecting with over the years. Today, we have Jeff Frazier on the podcast. Currently, Jeff has four jobs, including head of global public sector at Snowflake, non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, and operating partner at Digital Alpha. His prior roles were COO at Prion, managing director at Cisco, general manager and corporate partner at Microsoft, and the distinguished public service with FBI. As the head of global public sector at Snowflake, Jeff and his teams enable organizations to mobilize their data with Snowflake's data cloud. Customers use the data cloud to unite siloed data, discover and securely share data, and execute diverse analytic workloads. Jeff is a respected visionary leader, a guest speaker at many conferences, and an author. His specialties include sales, digital transformation, government consulting and advising, international business and emerging markets, public policy, and government affairs. Jeff, without sharing any more of your background, I want to welcome you to this episode of Davood for Thought podcast and ask you to tell us about yourself. And for someone who doesn't know about your background, please give us an overview of what you have done and what you're working on these days. Welcome. David, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and certainly enjoyed uh, our time in meeting you. Give me a quick um, background. By way of background, the probably best to characterize it as public service or public purpose. Um, my whole life uh, has been dedicated to um, serving a category around public sector. So I've spent a number of years in it, and then I've taken that those learnings. And so by way of background, I spent time in most all levels of government, U.S. government, um, then into the corporate framework, nonprofit framework, and, um, and then some board work framework. So I went to Cisco for and worked in a number of their um, businesses in global channel, global consulting, all public sector, off to Microsoft and ran their global public sector. Uh, found, came back into Cisco, worked for the chairman, ran his country initiatives on digital transformation and then and private equity. That's where I was an operating partner, where I would <clears throat> sit on a number of boards where I would jump into companies and help them go to market. Uh, in the last year, I was asked to come and build a category for public sector for a company I really care about and a category I really care about, that's Snowflake. Um, so I, you said I have four jobs. I really have uh, 
perhaps four jobs at one mission, and that is to improve anything I to spend most of my time or all my time when I do have extra time on improving um, the lives of people. And that's in the public sector. So I use a corporate lens, a nonprofit lens in my time at the as a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. And then my time on boards and councils to do that. But my corporate role is my priority because of the impact we can bring with the role of data in public service. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that background and sharing that all of them have really one mission to improve lives of people. That's fantastic. Jeff, our second question is, what emerging trends are you seeing in the IT and business fields that we should all be paying more attention to these days? I I see the, the waves of the tenure trends, uh, Devo. This is kind of how I, how I characterize it. But every 10 years, there's this big shift, market shift. And again, where you sit's where you stand. So I'm, I'm taking it from a public sector perspective. Right. But I'm seeing this shift from... I was there in the wave of mobility and technology and the advancements that we had with mobility and you saw it with analytics and you see it with cloud and that 10 year shift is squarely in what um, where I'm seeing in data in the role of data and that it plays in our lives. There was a really good article <clears throat> that was laid out a really good argument actually that was laid out um, in the economist about the real time revolution of economics. And if you think about that, like for instance, you're able to acquire information and 90% of the of the information, 90% of the decisions in any institution come from unstructured data. And it's hard to get that. It's hard to extract that. It's hard to use that. It's hard that to be accurate. So we start having technologies now that organize, assemble, and are able to for anyone uh, to democratize that, yet ex- extend the horizon of understanding the role of information and data. You get much more precise, much much more fast. So you're going to see this. I, I really appreciate the way they shared the real-time revolution in economics. Um, you're going to be able to understand tax roles more accurately. You're understanding roles of impact of fraud, the impact of latency in markets, and you're starting to understand this with much higher degree of accuracy and a much greater speed in which we'll learn uh, faster. That's the trend I'm seeing. And it's compounded in the U.S. by the modernization that's taken place in the government and also by the capital structures that have been put into play post-COVID with regard to funding advancements and modernization and the big rush to the cloud. There's just too many cost advantages. There's too many um, capability advantages. There's just, there's so many productivity benefits in GDP impact by moving to the advanced modern architectures. That's the trend I'm saying. Yes, definitely. There is a lot of attention and focus on data and data analytics right now. Every organization wants to know all this data that they've been gathering and collecting or over the years. How can they turn that into information and be able to use them? I think you would agree, Jeff, that uh, adjusting to the pandemic was challenging for many organizations. 
And now everyone is thinking of what the next major disruption, like the pandemic, is going to be and how can we better be prepared for it. So resiliency is a big topic of conversation these days. What are some examples of resilience you have seen in the past year or year and a half? What is the one thing organizations should be doing to improve resilience? Mm. What I see, Tavud, what some practical examples and then sitting back and looking at the bigger trends. Um, if So the question to what do we look at or what do we do or what how do we improve resiliency or how do we address it? It's really um, fundamentally resiliency is just to be able to overcome shocks, you know, or, or be able to work through difficult issues. Um, those issues are becoming more frequent, um, more severe because greater things are at stake. Uh, whether you move up uh, geopolitical risks, whether you look at uh, you know virus and what that has done to health, uh, what that's done to the economics and supply chain, what was exposed because of that one control point, that one virus and what it did to shift the world. Um, if you've studied Clyde Dynamics, which is this, the statistical side of history, you find these cycles of unrest and we go through them about every 65 years. Question is, what contributes to that? How will people express their disappointment or their anger and how will they understand the resiliency pattern to get out of it? Um, what I'm seeing corporations do is uh, place a priority and emphasis around planning and preparation, uh, distributed models of management, persuasive models of how to manage. Um, so how does the corporation itself prepare in terms of the business context? How does the corporation prepare itself and its ecosystem for de-risk and, and for resiliency? Um, it's been a, it will always be a process. It won't be an endpoint. And it'll always be a consciousness around that. So the first thing we would say, the first thing, one of the first priorities you look at for resiliency is um, get up on a balcony and look and see what's really going on. So you really see what's going on. We always say, look three times, you see what's really there. So you know how you're operating. Then you back up and say, what is what are these treatments that will take place or not. You model it. What if we were to have a disruption for a period of time? What if we couldn't sustain for a period of time? What if we couldn't do this for a period of time? And you model it. That's planning and preparation. And then communicating and communicating with intent. Remember the strong, strong culture. So are the companies or the organizations that really, really well achieve and overcome and come out of resiliency much faster. So having a strong culture is really one of the key predicates for overcoming any shock to the system or any resiliency. So people, um, then you look at product, and then you look at market in that order. Very good. I completely agree with you. And it, it doesn't have to be a virus, as you mentioned. It could be a natural disaster, such as flooding or earthquake or fires. It could be a technology disruption, like a widespread virus, computer virus, or cyber attack. Uh, It could be a disruption similar to the civil unrest we had in 2021. So um, resilience comes into play. How well are they prepared, as you mentioned? How well are they communicating? 
And definitely you added another angle, the culture also determines that the people, the culture. Excellent. Thank you. It really comes down to risk management. My next question, Jeff, is uh, about motivation. At Launch Consulting, we always talk about how we are going to get a project or something done. But we also ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? What is your why? What motivates you in your work, in other words? I don't know if I've discovered it by accident, by intuition, or perhaps otherwise. Um, I always link the work that I do or the activity that I undertake to a, a purpose that I discovered years ago and that I've been fortunate enough to serve uh, and continue to serve that purpose. So when I asked, what, what is my why? I think it was Mark Twain that said, you know, the most, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you discover why. <laughs> so my why uh, is my purpose, which is I'm most happy when engaged in activities that, if successful, benefit a lot of people. This is true whether I look through a corporate lens or a nonprofit lens or even a government lens. Uh, so my the when you go and see a, an eye doctor for an eye exam, it's a photroper, that little eye machine you look to it, and they keep changing lenses so you get really focused. Um, mine is pursuing public purpose. Mm-hmm. And the reason is really the, one of the key reasons that drove me to Snowflake right. uh, was that our founders gave the people of the world a gift. You'll notice that world governments who oppose people or who oppress people, they don't really have allies. They just have transactional partners. Mm-hmm. So democratically developed countries have allies. Mm-hmm. And over the years, uh, the strategic means in which we continue to advance uh, our alliances have diminished. So the question is, what role uh, will a, an organization play um, to improve that? And so that's just what gets me excited and gets me motivated is um, the role of our technology at Snowflake promises to be that technology which can return to our strategic engagement. You can share you can uh, uh, share and organize around data on issues to find facts and really discover ways to advance uh, achievement. And that's what I wake up every morning and get excited about, is that advancement and the role of data that plays in the lives of people. Excellent, that's that's goodness for the world, yes. How about on inspiration and innovation? What inspires innovation? Whenever you have teams now, and you've had teams in your prior roles, what inspires innovation on your teams? How do you inspire them to be innovative? Where I think what comes immediately to, to mind, uh, Davud, is the conditions. Are the conditions in place that in the environment exist in which you can operate in a way that you can have the capacity to think, to test, and to share um, authentically? And... That's where I found if you create those conditions and allow people to participate in those activities and align um, goals and align priorities, the innovation and the motivation behind of which will come from 
questions that haven't been previously asked from people who typically wouldn't ask them. So I always think very deliberately about what conditions exist that would allow somebody to operate in an authentic way that there's no fear or guilt about looking at a topic and sharing that. And is with the understanding that this is to improve um, those conditions or to improve some offering or some product or service that we're work- currently working. Um, place a premium on the conditions. Right, right. You hit on some key terms, the authentic thinking and capacity to think authentically. It's really what it comes down to and having no fear, no fear or failure even, you know, giving the room to fail so they can be innovative. That's what it takes, in my opinion, also. Excellent. Jeff, what is something that would surprise people about your background or interests? I spent a number of years in the government doing some really um, meaningful and interesting work. Um, I think you may have mentioned the top of the call. Um, I had been a, a former agent of the FBI where I looked after uh, some international corrupt and organized institutions. Mm-hmm. So I spent time doing that. Some folks find that interesting. Uh, I also, about my background that you wouldn't know, um, I'm also an enrolled member of an American Indian tribe, Kaw Nation out of Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Okay. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Where can people find you, Jeff, and keep tabs on what you're working on? How can people support your work? Probably, but you mentioned at the top of the call, I had four jobs. Uh, I have one mission. So you can you can track me by uh, supporting and, and monitoring and following the, the Atlantic Council, the Geotech okay. Center. You can also, of course, follow me and spend some time looking at the issues that I focus on with, um, with Snowflake. You can catch me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeff. Uh, Thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us as well. We will see you in the next episode of Dawood for Thought, where we will shed more light on the human side of tech. Follow this podcast on your favorite platform and join the conversation by sharing it on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. I'm Joby Gady client success manager for Launch Consulting Energy Division. We're at the forefront of a changing landscape where the responsible consumption of energy resources is paramount. How can we improve our company practices and empower change for the good of people and our planet? We're here to discover what navigating sustainability looks like in the workplace. Let's explore these topics together with industry experts, Look at case studies and real-world examples of companies that have successfully implemented sustainability measures. And take away practical, scalable, and impactful ideas that you can put into action to move toward a thriving, sustainable business. Join me, Joby Gady, alongside Launch Consulting's energy sector lead, Damian Walkup, on Navigating Sustainability.